Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. All right, Matthew chapter 2. These are the words of Matthew, his eyewitness account. And he tells us this unique little story, and we're going to unpack what it means and why it's in here. But he says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for this child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go worship him. Now, if we had time, we'd look at what happens and what Herod's all about. He did not want to worship Jesus. He wanted to kill him. We'll do Herod another day. We're going to focus on the Magi today. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. They went back another way. I want to take a few minutes and unpack this story of these wise men, these magi, a story that probably you're all somewhat familiar with. And I want to dive into what's going on here. It's a story about these men on a search, in search of Jesus, and they actually find him. And I think it's an interesting story to celebrate at Christmas because it really is one of the central threads about the Christmas story. In fact, a lot of the stories we tell around Christmas have to do with the search or longing that is in the human heart. I don't know if you ever thought about it this way, but a lot of the stories, the movies we watch this time of year, the stories we tell have to do with longing, with a search. Let me, let me make some examples. Anybody know who this young fella is? <laughs> Mr. Kevin McAllister, no less. Home Alone, it's a story about Kevin who gets left at home and he fights off the evil wet bandits and it's just hilarious and fun. We, we watch it every year, my family. We love this story. But it's not just a story about him defending his home. It's a story about Kevin McAllister's search for freedom and independence from the tyranny of his family and his mean brother Buzz. He's trying to find who he is and find freedom and defend and be a man. It's similar, actually, to the Christmas story. Uh, with, remember, remember Ralphie? Getting a little older for some of you older folks. Remember Ralphie? What did Ralphie want for Christmas? Uh, not just any gun. A Red Ryder BB gun. Right? Pastor Brent wants a Benelli Super Black Eagle. 12 gauge. You can go ahead. Um, but he, he wanted the, a Red Ryder BB gun, but not just, it's not just a story about getting a present. What was he in search of? Independence. He wanted to be a man. 
defend my home, provide for my family. He's looking for something deeper. Some of you don't believe me. No, Christmas stories are really about a search. How many know this guy? It's Buddy. Some of you know what he's saying right there. Santa. My voice, I can't even do it. Santa. I know him, remember? What's Buddy looking for? His dad. Well, that's, yeah, he's... Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. Remember the narwhal? Somebody like, this guy remembers a lot of movies. I do. No, but he's not just looking for his dad. Who's he looking for? He's looking for his identity. It's like, why am I this giant living in the North Pole among elves? Why am I here? And he's asking the big questions. He's in search of answers about who he is. How about, uh, how about this guy? Let's go, let's go back a little further. Some of my 80s people. Who's this? Clark, Clark Griswold. What's Clark in search of? His Christmas bonus. And he just wants his crazy brother-in-law to leave. He wants his house in order. It's a story about a man's search for peace and family and meaning. It's, 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 a, it's a search. All these stories we tell. How about, how about these stories? Hallmark Christmas. What's it a story about? All of them. All of them are a story about a girl who... Is successful in her own right and needs no man. She's well paid and works at a firm in Manhattan. And she decided to go home to visit her family one snowy weekend. And it was there in that small town where she happened upon a coffee shop where the owner, who happens to also be really, really, really ridiculously good looking, and a police officer and a firefighter, and happens to be available but also has kids. He's a widower. Done nothing wrong in his life. He's the perfect man. And she realizes he was the one she was looking for all along. It's a story. I'm getting the side eye from my wife right now. I can't resist. Every Christmas, Hallmark, it's just, it's just a layup for me, all right? So but what, what are these stories about, the Hallmark? It's a story, stories about love. It's stories about its romance. It's, it's, it's longing. Again, it's all about the search. And that's, my point is, the Christmas stories we tell are stories about people in search of something. They're about longing. And that's because the story of Christmas is ultimately about searching and finding. It's about longing and discovering that or he to whom I have been longing. The claim of the Christmas story here in Matthew 2 we're going to look at is the story of human longing and the promise that that to which your heart ultimately longs has been given to you in a person. The peace you've been looking for, the freedom you've been looking for, the hope, the joy, the glory, the identity, the meaning, the mercy, has been delivered to you in this person, Jesus. And that's really what this whole story is all about. And I think it's really well displayed in this account of these magi, these travelers from the east who come and find Jesus. They were looking for something and they discovered Jesus. Now, if you're just joining us, we've been journeying through the Gospel of Matthew, and we've learned that the four Gospels are all eyewitness accounts of the, of the person and work of Jesus Christ, and they're all kind of highlighting the same central message, and that is that Jesus is Lord, give your life to him and find salvation, but they all have slightly different purposes. And we found out that Matthew is very interested in tying the promises of the Old Testament to Jesus as the fulfillment of those promises. And he's trying to say all the stuff in the Old Testament is coming into fruition in this person, Jesus. Put your faith in him and find salvation. This is the claim of Matthew we've been looking at for the better part of a year. 
And so Matthew is tying even this story of the Magi into Old Testament prophecies like this one. We read at Christmas in Isaiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Can we say amen? And the, and the claim that Matthew is making, even in this story of the search of the Magi, is that he's here in the person of Jesus. I want to take a few minutes and I want to unpack this story about the Magi and their search and I want to ask this question, who are the Magi and what is this text trying to say to us? Now, I'm going to do something that if you're like watching a movie, for instance, sometimes when I'm watching a movie with my wife who's a nurse and there's medical stuff, she, she can ruin it because she'll like roll her eyes and be like, they would never do that. That's not how you use that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or uh, like you ever watch a combat show with someone who's been in the, in the armed forces or they know how to use firearms? Like that is not how you hold a gun, right? Or you watch like a, a show where they're pretending to play music with a musician, like bro is holding the guitar upside down. They, they ruin it. And you're sitting there enjoying it. You're like, don't wreck this for me. Well, I'm going to wreck your nativity for a minute if I can do that. You have a nice, neat little idea of how the Christmas story went. And it looks great on your mantle, but it's not in the Bible. And I want to just take a minute and highlight some things that we need to understand to get down to the meaning of what this story about the Magi is that might be misconceptions in your mind as it pertains to this story. A couple things we don't hear in the story. First and foremost, we aren't told as it pertains to the Magi, we're not actually told specifically where they're from. It just tells us Magi from the East came. There's a lot of east of Jerusalem. We don't really know where they're from. Most scholars believe they're from Syria, probably Babylon is where they came from, most likely because they're magi, more on that in a minute. But we aren't actually told that, you know, the we three kings of Orient are, I don't think they're actually from the Orient. So we're not told where they're from. We aren't told how many there are. I don't, with all due respect to the songwriter, it says nothing about there being three magi. Now, it might stand a reason why humans, why we've decided that there were three. It's because there were three gifts, correct? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And apparently, in the first century, you couldn't carry more than one gift per camel. I don't know. I don't know how it worked. But if there were three gifts, there were obviously three wise men. Makes sense to me. Actually, no, you can carry more than one gift. So we don't know that there were three. There could have been five. There could have been ten. There could have been two. All we know is there's magi, plural. Make sense? All right, so we're starting to get the picture. We also don't know. Here's where it really starts blowing up your nativity scene. We also don't know when they showed up. It wasn't the first night. Now, I know you have on your mantle, you got the shepherds, you got the angels, you got baby Jesus and Joe and Mary you got Mr. Bean and the robot, and everything's just perfect. Just perfect little Kodak moment, but that's actually not how this went. It tells us that they came, uh, and Jesus was still in Bethlehem, but it was after the child was born. And so we don't know whether he was days old, 
Could have been weeks old, could have been months old, could have even been a year or more old. So this is sometime after he was born, but before Mary and Joseph fled because of what Herod would do next. So we don't really know how old he was. Now, I'm pointing some of this stuff out because I want us as believers and as mature Christians to understand a propensity that is not helpful. Uh, it's very easy when you get into the scripture because of mystery and wonder and God you know, causes us to wonder. It's very easy sometimes to look into the margins and try to find stuff that the Bible isn't really that interested in telling you about. Like I found that in the, in when we did the study in Revelation. Anybody here for Revelations? For Revelation? Yeah. I'm going to test you on that as long as I live. Yeah. Well, I had a lot of people coming to me saying like, you know, or do you think that this is that? Are you pre-trib or post-trib? When do you think Jesus is coming back? And do you think the locusts are Apache helicopters? And people are making all these connections that the Bible doesn't actually make. And here's my point with this, and I want us as believers to be aware of this. It's okay to wonder and to think about things. And the Bible, you know, God wants us to look at the scripture intellectually and to, to wonder, but not major in the minors and not focus on the margins. And it gets really easy to get drawn to what the Bible isn't saying to the point where you miss what it is saying. And I know the enemy is quite happy for us to sit and wonder about what the Bible's not saying and why if it causes us to miss what it's trying to actually say. Does that make sense? So it's really important when we look at these texts, we let it speak what it's trying to say to us and we don't get lost in details that it doesn't include. It obviously wasn't necessary to include it. Maybe someday, you know, when we're in eternity, we'll find out exactly how many magi there were, if they had mustaches, what color their hair was. We're not going to find that out just yet. Does that make sense? You with me? All right. So what can we know and what is the story actually trying to tell us about these magi, and more specifically about ourselves. What's this text trying to show us? I think it's a story about a search, and I have a few things I want to put out here for us. First thing is this, if you're taking notes. I think this speaks first and foremost to the search we are all on for answers, for truth. If you're in search of the truth, I believe Matthew is presenting this for us in this Christmas story. If you're in search of the truth, here he is. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. And we find in this Christmas story some men on a search for truth. I've got campus pastors blowing up my watch here. Just give me a second. It's been one of those days. First service, the whole thing just, we lost power twice. I had to wait up here in the dark and preach with no microphone. These are the things that you have nightmares over. So, but here we are. No, back to truth. We are all, every human being, on a search for answers. Sometimes it really bothers us and we feel an innate sense of longing. Sometimes we get caught up in life. We don't think about it that much. But every human being is in search of answers for the big questions in life. Why am I here? Is there a God? What do I do about God? How do I get to God? Is there a heaven? Is there life after this? What is right? What is wrong? What is truth? Who am I? Questions about truth. We are all longing and looking for truth, and we search for truth. Some of us search the stars. Some of us search the web. 
Some of us look within. That's very popular right now. I need to find myself within. I need to live my truth. That's a, that's a very common turn of words these days. Some of us travel the world in search of truth. Some of us look in stuff or things to find truth. But all of us are looking for truth. And the claim of the gospel and the claim of the Christmas message is, and what this story of these magi coming specifically says is, here lies the truth. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the truth. Now, who were these magi? Ma the magi were, the word magi is important. It gives us a clue as to who these men were. The magi is where you actually get the word magician. These guys were, uh, they were interested in religions. They were interested in politics. They were interested in arts. They were intellectuals, highly intellectual and most importantly, they were astrologers, very much into what the stars were telling us. Now, there's really no cultural equivalent to magi these days because when we think of magician, we think of Harry Potter. And these guys weren't Harry Potter. But they were, in effect, highly influential, intellectual men who had the ear of the king. In fact, just yesterday I was listening to something about uh, King Xerxes, the Syrian king. And his main advisors were magi. They were mystics. And in those days, they took more seriously things that you might not understand quantifiably, scientifically. And so that's who these guys were. They were, they were lifelong searchers. Searchers for truth wherever they could find it. And so that meant looking to the stars. That meant looking to the scrolls. It tells us they were familiar with the Old Testament. These men were career intellectuals and co career seekers. And it tells us, and this is really important, I want you to not miss this. It's quite curious and quite punchy even in the text that these first guys who found Jesus found him through the stars. That they'd been searching for truth and they ended up at Jesus. This is a very important point. Couple things to notice here. First is this. The first worshipers of Jesus were pagans. These guys weren't Jews. These guys weren't insiders. These guys were outsiders, magi, magicians, sorcerers of sorts. These guys were into the stars. They were into stuff that, you know, you and I as Christians would look to and be like, what are you doing staring into that crystal ball, you freak? And yet these guys had all the stuff, the incense and the crystals and the scrolls and the stars and the horoscope, all of it. They believed all of it. And yet in their pursuit of truth, they ended up at Jesus. This tells us two things loud and clear. Don't miss it. First is this, that this Jesus, this king, is the truth and he is for all people. That's such good news. Right there in the beginning, Matthew goes out of his way to say, who's this for? It's for everybody, not just insiders. Not just the Jews, but in fact, the first worshipers were pagans. They were outsiders. They were from the east. They were from away. They were out there. That's an incredible message, isn't it? In fact, Matthew's very infatuated with that message about Jesus calling outsiders to himself. If you read the end where Jesus is crucified, who is the first person to say on his crucifixion that this is the son of God? It was a Roman centurion. He says, surely this man is the son of God. And so this says loud and clear to us, first and foremost, that this is, a, this is a message for all people. But more specifically, I don't want you to miss this. I love that we have some people 
who were hungry for truth, who were honest and hungry enough to go on a long journey looking for him, and they discover Jesus. It's, it's this picture to me, like I get thinking about, you know, some people say like all roads lead to heaven. It's not true. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. All roads do not lead to heaven, but all truth leads ultimately to Jesus. Did you catch what I'm saying there? If you will be honest enough and hungry enough with your questions and keep digging, Jesus will ultimately be where you end up because he is truth. Like, I love the fact that here, right in the beginning of Matthew's gospel, you have some men who were eager and honest in their pursuit of truth who from some weird angle through the stars end up at Jesus. That's incredible. And those of us who, like myself, grew up in the church and we think there's like one way to find Jesus, you gotta come to church, you gotta go to Alpha, Awana, or Catechism. (laughs) Then you make your confession, you come to the altar, you get baptized, and here we go. But that's not how these guys did it. We're like, oh, we followed the stars and we ended up here. Let me just encourage some of you. Do not sleep on Jesus' ability to be found in a variety of ways. In fact, if we could go around the rooms today in PEI or wherever wherever you're watching, and we could share our stories, we'd say, well, I actually started to notice the breadcrumbs while I was way out far in the east. I was in college making bad decisions, and then I just started noticing things. And the things that I thought were sufficient answers were no longer sufficient for me, and it sent me on a search. And as I got honest with that search, I ended up at Jesus. And so it starts to beg the question, too. I imagine the Magi were scratching their heads thinking, here we are with all truth, King Jesus. And it begs the question, who found who? That God was hanging stars in the sky and making things come together in just the right time and just the right way that these men would notice him. It's an incredible thought. It's an incredible thought. It really moves me. And it speaks to this idea that Christianity in the marketplace of ideas is the best, far and away the best. I know some of you have maybe non-believing friends and atheistic friends. Can I just encourage you, do not be afraid of their questions and do not be afraid of conversation. In fact, I find most of my agnostic and atheistic friends aren't honest enough in questioning their own assumptions. Like they don't, they don't think about the fact that they're people of faith too. I, I saw this tweet last week I thought was, 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 it puts it in perspective. He says, Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Atheists believe in the virgin birth of the universe. Choose your miracle. And I have found, even as I've looked into apologetics and I've looked into some of the explanations about Christianity and the truth that it purports, I have found that in the marketplace of ideas, Christianity is untouched and unparalleled. And if people will just be honest in their pursuit, they will end up at Jesus. And this is what I think the story of the Magi is saying loud and clear. Alistair Begg, who Pastor John quoted last week, ironically or coincidentally, I had actually written this before he wrote his last week, but he said this, talking about the Magi, God will not pander to our intellectual arrogance, but he will cater to our intellectual inquiry and integrity. If you are honest in your pursuit, you will find Jesus as the sufficient answer to your questions. 
says this in Jeremiah, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And here's the promise. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I love that in the story about seeking truth, Jesus is found at the end of their inquiry. These men were willing to go on a long journey. I was thinking about it even like, how long was that journey? It's probably 800 miles if they came from Syria. It took them months. Can you imagine that conversation with your wife? Hey, I saw a star. I need to see what that, what's at the end of it. Be back in six months, right? Can you imagine? But they were hungry. And God will meet you at the end of your hunger. He will meet you at the end of your honest inquiry. And so let me just say to some of you parents maybe who are praying for your child and they are far in the east, do not sleep on God's ability to start creating doubts in their doubts and start causing them to question their questions and start causing them to notice some little subtle breadcrumbs and signs that lead them all the way back to him. He will do it. Next thing. So first and foremost, these magi come in pursuit of truth and they find him. Amen? You with me? I'll only be a couple more minutes, so just, just stay tuned. Second thing I want you to see here. If you're in search of peace, I think this text is telling you something. If you're in search of peace, here he is. His name is Jesus. Jesus has been given not just to answer your big questions, but to deal with your big problems and bring peace where there is disorder. The word peace in the Hebrew is the word shalom. And shalom means more than just like not being anxious. When we think of peace, we just think of like, you know, just quiet, stillness, not worried about stuff. But shalom is much bigger than just that. Shalom is the, the right order of everything. Everything being brought into working order. That's what shalom is. And Jesus came to bring peace. This is what the angel said in Luke 2. We're going to look at it this weekend at our Christmas services. On earth, peace. On whom God's favor rests. Jesus came to bring us peace. Another word for peace is salvation. Jesus said, I am the gate. Anyone who comes in will find pasture. You'll find salvation. I'll bring you into my protection and order and provision. That's ultimately what Jesus came to do. And I think it's really interesting when you see the search of the Magi, they come looking for answers. They follow this star, and it says when they came to the house, verse 10, they're overjoyed. They're like, we found the house that the star was leading us to. You ever find like an answer or something you've been longing to find for a long time? It does cause joy, like eureka. They have this eureka moment, but it very quickly, watch this, turns from an intellectual discovery to a heart-level response of, oh, God, this is more than just some answer to my questions. This is the solution to my big problems, this one Jesus. Look what happened. Look at their response. And don't, don't sleep on how unusual it is to have these powerful, rich, intellectual, well-to-do men travel so far, and when they get there, they start to worship. Look, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Imagine that scene for a second. How, how weird would it be to see 
these powerful, well-to-do, rich, influential, intellectual men bowing down and worshiping a baby. It should, it should jar you a little bit. And that's because they had a realization that this is no mere baby. This is God in the flesh. This is eternity in a body. This is the glory of heaven dwelling among us. This is no mere baby. This is the king of kings and lord of lords. And there can only be one king in this room. And it's not me. They had a revelation in their hearts. They were moved beyond intellectual agreement to a life of worship. Where they, they had changed and their, their hearts had been changed. It prompted worship. Now we're not told exactly how they connected the dots. At the end of the day, the Holy Spirit's the one that has to reveal to us that Jesus is Lord. Uh, in fact, Jesus even said to Nicodemus, remember the story in John 3? He said to Nicodemus, you are correct. It's been this, the Spirit of God is the one that reveals. Uh, he said it to Peter too. And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, God has revealed this to you. There's revelation that needs to happen. We don't know what made it click for these guys. Was it when they came in, all of the scrolls that they'd read just kind of coincided and they had an aha moment? This is God in the flesh. This is my Savior. Did they run into the shepherds on the way into Bethlehem that had already heard the announcement of the angels? And they said, hey, Magi, the one you're looking for, he's down there. He's the Savior. Go see him. Maybe they, maybe they talked to the shepherds. We don't know. Maybe they came into the house and it says when they saw his mother, maybe they asked his mother, what's his name? And Mary said, his name is Jesus. And they said, what does that mean? Maybe she said, it means he will save his people from their sins. We don't know exactly what it was that made them connect the dots. All we know is that the dots were connected. And how do we know that? Because they resp responded accordingly. When you realize who this Jesus is, there is only one response, and that is reverence and worship and submission and humility. And you see it right here in the first story. These powerful men brought low, worshiping the baby Jesus. It's an incredible picture. The next time you see the Magi in your manger scene, just think of the contrast of that and the statement of their faith saying, we're rich, we're powerful, we're intellectual, we know stuff, and we know this is God who deserves our worship and our allegiance. It's an incredible picture. They begin to worship him. It's important too, let me just make this note. It says they bowed down and they worshiped him. They didn't worship Mary. They didn't worship Joseph. They didn't worship the angels and they didn't worship the stars. They didn't worship Herod. They didn't worship their scrolls. All of those things just went to the side and Jesus took his rightful place. Very important you see that, that they worshiped Jesus. It's an incredible thing, this picture. I love what Alistair Begg goes on to say about this journey. He said, the Magi came with the treasures of earth in their hands, but left with the treasure of heaven in their hearts. What a picture. And it does say they offered gifts, didn't they? What were the gifts they gave? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, what's that all about? Well, for them, I think they were just giving gifts. They're responding accordingly. When you, when you come to realize who this Jesus is, it, it elicits a response of worship. 
But Jesus, or God being the storyteller that he is, I love how prophetic and poetic this is that they gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's even speaking to why Jesus came and who Jesus is. What's gold? Well, gold in Jesus' day was a gift you gave a king. So it's, it's speaking to his kingliness that they're giving him gold. Also speaks to the fact that he's the one true king. He's, he's the king of kings and lord of lords. There is but one God and one savior. There will not be another. I love that they give that. And I was, thinking, I was just thinking about the scripture and how often human beings got in trouble with gold. What did the Israelites do with gold? They boiled it down and created an idol. I love that picture of these powerful men who are giving their riches and their power to King Jesus. It's almost this picture of idols being toppled, that there's only one God. And it speaks to why Jesus came. Jesus came as a king, but not to demand our allegiance, but to actually serve us, didn't he? That him being the gold, the treasure of heaven, God giving on our behalf the most precious commodity, to use that term, in the universe was given to human beings so that we could be saved. And he was crowned king, but not with a gold crown, was he? His crown was thorns. He came to die. That's what the king of heaven looks like. I love that picture. And it says to give frankincense. What's frankincense? I don't know who Frank is, but incense is in there. Incense, is, it's a perfume. It's, it's a, it was a priceless perfume, a pricey perfume in the day. And it speaks to Jesus' deity, his godness. If you read Revelation 5, it says how, how, how the, or Revelation 7, it says that the prayers of the saints rise like incense day and night. Incense is a picture of what's worthy to be sent toward God. God doesn't, God doesn't want money. God doesn't need our money. He wants our hearts, our prayers, our trust. And you have this picture of incense right there. But it also doesn't just speak to the fact that Jesus is God, but it speaks to why he came. He did not come, again, to be served, but he came to serve and to offer his life to pour out his blood for all of us. It's a beautiful picture of what he came to do. And then it says they gave what? Myrrh. You know what myrrh is? Myrrh was like a salve. It was an ointment. And it was used primarily to heal wounds and to embalm dead bodies. So here, picture this. These magi giving myrrh to this baby, Jesus, it speaks to why he came. He came to die so that we could live. He came to be wounded and afflicted to be our healing. I love that picture. He came on purpose. He came on a mission. And these magi had connected some dots that I was looking for peace, and here he is, Jesus. Looking for forgiveness, Jesus. Looking for meaning, Jesus. Looking for healing, Jesus. Looking for hope, Jesus. Looking for restoration, Jesus. Looking for redemption, Jesus. It's all in Jesus. Last thought, and I'm going to wrap up. If you're in search, talk, we talked about the search for truth. You still with me? Y'all quiet. Talked about the search for salvation, peace, for things to be made right. And Jesus came to make us right with God, to deal with the great problems of our lives, the problem of sin, the problem of death, the problem of separation from God. He came to be our solution, our salvation. Can I get an amen?
Tell me you know the gospel. All right. Last but not least, I think this speaks to another search. If you're in search of life, here he is. Here he is. Jesus didn't just come to die to make us right with God, but he rose in power to bring us to life and transformation. It's about new creation, a whole new life. And you see it right here in the Christmas story. I love this. It says at the end of the text, they bowed down, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now I love that picture. I might be reading too far into the text. I don't think I am. I love the picture of these men followed a star hundreds of miles to a, a moment of encounter where they encounter Jesus. And now they aren't hearing God in stars. They aren't hearing God in signs and they aren't hearing God in scrolls, but God speaks to them directly and they're now different. They're going back a different way. And to me, this, this kind of stuck out like, I mean, it was probably a six-month journey, maybe more. But when they came through their house doors and their wife was like, it's, it's been eight months. They did not come back the same way they left. These guys were different after they encountered Jesus. I love how the ESV says it. This is the NIV. The ESV says it, and I thought it was a little more poetic. It'll preach a little better. It says, being warned in the dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. They went home another way. Catch the play on words? I thought that was pretty good, Pastor Brent. I don't know. They went home another way. You know what happens when you meet Jesus? You go home another way. When you have an encounter with the real Jesus, he changes you. And you can't go back the way you came. It's impossible. Now, I know you can have encounters with, you know, you can talk about Jesus. You can sing about Jesus. You can go to church. You can sit in a pew. But when you have an encounter, a revelation, where you meet him, he changes you. He changes you. These magi went home another way. They came blind and now they see. They came lost and now they're found. They came dead and now they're alive. They came bound and now they're free. When you meet Jesus, he changes you. This is what it says in Corinthians. As we behold his glory, his face, we are transformed from glory to ever-increasing glory. Just beholding him changes you. It changes you. Those encounters change you. Not all at once. It's progressive. How many of you know that? How many of you can look back over your life as you've been following Jesus, maybe the last year, 10 years, 20 years? You say, you know what? I haven't arrived, but I'm not going the same way I came. I I'm changing. There's been things fundamentally shifted about me. I'm not who I was. I was on that road, and now I'm on a different road. I see things different, and he's still changing me. This is what happens when you encounter Jesus, you go home another way. I love that picture. I saw it played out this past week in my own uh, two older kids. They went to uh, last Sunday or two Sundays ago. We had a prophetic workshop helping teenagers hear the voice of God. And we had, you know, Pastors Anthony and Dan and our prophetic ministry team there. And we had, I don't know, probably 30 kids go. And two of those kids were my, my older two kids. 
uh, Ava's 14 and Aiden's 12. And they went, and all I can tell you is when we dropped them off, they went in one way. And I could see on their faces when they came up the stairs and out the door, they came out another way. They had had an encounter with the living God. It went beyond dad and mom's faith. It went beyond being pastor's kids to something personal where God spoke to them. And when God speaks to you, and when you see him, and you have a legitimate encounter with him, he changes you. Starts to change you little by little, day by day. This is how it works. He is a transformational power that wants to set you free and transform you into his image. How cool is that? You just stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Let me say this to you. May we not just go through Christmas and pay homage to Jesus while we tend to think about it. May we see all the things that we love about this season. Family, tradition, food, comfort, joy, fellowship. I hope you get to experience those things, but I hope you see them as signs that the, that the Father is hanging in the sky to point you to the ultimate truth that is Jesus. When you're enjoying your family, if, you have, if, you're, if you're blessed to have a healthy family that you're gonna be able to spend time with, may it push you toward God the Father. May it remind you of the family that we've been bought by Jesus' blood to be part of. As you receive gifts, may it point you back to the good gift that is Jesus. And may you come through this Christmas and into next year, may we come through it another way. Amen? I'd like to be different this Christmas. Can we just say, like, we're a church that wants to normalize transformation. You are not perfect just the way you are. In fact, a lot of us are train wrecks. And we need a power that is greater than our white knuckle will to get in and change us day by day, little by little, into something true and something glorious and something everlasting. Amen? I want to come into 2023 another way. And I want to come into 2024 another way. If you agree, say amen. amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the invitation that is in this story of the Magi who searched you out and found you. Thank you that you don't hide yourself to tease us, but that you are findable if we'll seek you with all of our hearts. Lord, I pray you would help us in our search. Help us discover you over and over again. Help us mine the depths of your truth. But more than that, Lord, would it, tr would it transition from intellectual into our hearts where we have a revelation of our heart of who you are and how deeply you've loved us. And may we be changed by it. We pray this in your mighty, matchless name, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen and amen.